Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We continue a series of sermons out of Philippians. Uh, We'll finish up this week and next week on the Unified Local Church. And this week, we talk about the gospel. And it's all about the gospel. If you found your place there in Philippians chapter 1, I want us to do something this morning that we haven't practiced in a while. And I want it to become a normal practice in our church. I want you to stand this morning in honor of the reading of God's word this morning. Let's read these verses together. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What Paul is speaking of here, Paul had gone to Jerusalem to preach, and because of his going to Jerusalem to to, to preach, he had been put into prison in Rome, he had appealed to Caesar, and now he is waiting on that appeal in Rome. It says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are more bold to speak the word without fear. Some in rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Father, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had to make the best out of a bad situation? Have you ever been in just a bad situation and you just had to make the best out of it? That great philosopher Rocky Balboa in Rocky Four made this statement, life ain't all sunshine and rainbows, amen? Chad has a picture this morning I want to put up and, get, and show you. Can you see that? Is it? Maybe a little bit blurry, um, but here this picture is of uh, our youth group when I was youth minister, and this is, was our second trip to New Orleans. This is right after Hurricane Katrina happened, and we're going down to do a rebuilding project there um, in New Orleans. If the lights were a little bit dimmer, you could probably see that a little bit better. But uh, but there in the middle with the sleeveless shirt and the, and the cards in his hand, is Britton Sanford. Most of you may know Britton, but what's happened here is we're on our way to New Orleans, and we're on I-59, and we get stuck in a traffic jam that is forevermore. We're on the other side. We're somewhere in between Tuscaloosa and the Mississippi line, and there has been a wreck way ahead of us, And we are stuck on the side of the interstate on a Saturday afternoon in the middle of July. And we're just stuck there. Nothing to do. And Britton Sanford um, all of a sudden gets people together and they sit down on the middle of the interstate. And Britton gets out Uno cards. And he begins playing Uno, and it takes everybody's mind off of what's going on. It's still 100 degrees, but Britain has that ability to take the, this really bad situation here and turn it into something good. 
He bonds everybody together. He gets everybody together. Now, I'm not going to give you any illusion. He's cheating like crazy. I'll tell you one, Whitney, Whitney's in here. She can attest to that probably. Britain is cheating like crazy. He won every, every hand. I'm not going to tell you that when we got to New Orleans, I didn't threaten to send Britain home at least two or three times. But we were in a very bad situation, and Britain had the, he had this ability about him to take that bad situation and to take everybody's mind off of it and to get everybody to thinking about something else and to get the trip that could have started off on a very bad foot to get that trip going in the right direction quickly. And I, I had the opportunity last year to, to do Britain's, uh, to officiate Britain's wedding, and we talked about these times and we talked about those things. But there are situations and times in life when we are just going to be in bad situations. When life is just going to happen, it's going to happen suddenly, and we have no control over it. And we are going to have the opportunity through the Lord Jesus Christ to find joy in those situations when they arise. Paul is giving us an example. God allows Paul to write a letter through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes a letter to the church at Philippi where he had established a church. We've met some of the people from Philippi in the last few weeks. We met a a man named Epaphroditus. We've been introduced to how Timothy and Epaphroditus ministered there back and forth between it with each other. And the people in Philippi are in grief over the situation of Paul being in prison. And so Paul wants them to know and understand, yes, I'm in prison. Yes, it's a bad situation. But I want you to understand that because of my imprisonment, People who would have never heard about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ are now hearing about Jesus and are now coming to faith in Jesus. And I want you to know that though I'm being persecuted by some in the church in Rome, I'm showing them love and I'm showing them affection and I'm, and I'm showing them the model of Christ. And I want you to know that things are, they may be hard here, but I'm making the best out of it because Jesus is my inspiration. Jesus is who I'm modeling my life after. Jesus has changed me from the inside out, and it is because of that that I am able to do and minister this way. So I want to look this morning at some things about this situation, and I want to apply them to us, how they, how they meet our lives this morning. And first of all, we need to know that our life is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when I use the phrase gospel this morning, what I, am, what I am referring to there, the word gospel, is the proclaiming of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his, as he said in John 14, 6, being the way, the truth, and the life, and the only means by which we can get to the Father and have eternal life in heaven. When I say the gospel, that's what I'm talking about. And our lives should be about the gospel. The main question for us to ask this morning is this. Is the gospel first and foremost in our lives and in our churches? The word churches is plural there. I'm talking about the churches worldwide. Is the gospel, is the proclaiming of Jesus Christ, 
is it first and foremost in our lives and in the lives of our churches? Now, it's okay for us to plan for our education. It's okay for us to plan for our careers. It's okay for us to plan for our retirement. I get up every morning and I walk for a while. And in those walks, I'm planning. I, you may think I'm crazy, but I, I was walking this past week one morning and I was planning trips and I was planning activities for grandchildren that haven't been born yet. I, that, that's how far ahead I'm thinking. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. I see some of y'all and how y'all are enjoying those grandkids. And I think the reason you enjoy them so much is because you can have fun with them and then send them back home. And I'm already making plans as I'm walking and I'm thinking and I'm, I'm thinking about those things. And that is wonderful and that is fine as long as it fits within God's will for my life and how God wants me to live and how, where God wants me to be. Now, Paul's imprisonment here in Rome, it's been a source of inspiration for some of the people in the church in Rome. If you look back at verse number 14, he says this, he says, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He said, because I'm here and because I'm showing boldness and because I'm not afraid to proclaim the gospel, some of the people in the church in Rome have become more bold and some of them have lost their fear about telling other people about Jesus and things are beginning to happen there. Now, however... There were some there in the church at Rome that were very bitter at Paul. There were some there in the church at Rome who were upset with Paul for being there in prison because Paul's imprisonment had suddenly begun to shine a light on the church in Rome and their efforts to spread the gospel. Just this past week, if you've been paying attention to the news, I've noticed that there have been new crackdowns. In our world that we live in today, there have been new crackdowns by the governments in China, Ukraine, and Pakistan on churches and how those churches have to register with the government and how those churches have to operate under the laws of the government and not the freedom of Scripture. And Paul's imprisonment here, the, church, the people, the Christians in Rome are saying, because you're in prison here, you're the most well-known Christian, and everybody in the Roman government is now looking at us, and, and they're, the light is being shined on us. And they're thinking, Paul, you knew that if you went to Jerusalem, that the establishment there in Jerusalem hated you. That You knew that if you went to Jerusalem and you preached the gospel, you knew you were going to be arrested for that. And so you, you've caused all this, Paul. And by you doing that, you have brought a, your imprisonment has brought an unwanted spotlight on us here in Rome. But Paul takes all this in stride. And he lets the Philippians know his heart when he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And this is Paul's only desire in life. Paul's only desire is to see Jesus proclaimed as much and in as many places as possible. And he looks at his imprisonment as a way to advance the gospel in Rome. It brought to mind to me the story of Jim Elliot that the book, The Tip of the Spear, was written about. And there's a movie, The Tip of the Spear. I think they're both in our library here. Jim Elliot was a graduate of Wheaton College in Illinois. He met his wife there 
And Jim Elliott felt a call on his life there in the mid-1950s to go to Ecuador and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to Indian tribes that had not been reached. As a result of someone in one of those Indian tribes telling a lie there among the people about what Jim Elliott's real intentions were, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries were killed by the tribe when they landed there to go and share the gospel with them. Jim Elliott's life was lost, but later, if you know the story, his wife was able to go and to take a group back there, and many people in the tribe there came to know Jesus Christ, led to faith in Jesus Christ, because Jim Elliott was willing to give his life to go and share the gospel. There's this great quote that Jim Elliott made in one of his journals. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott was familiar with the scriptures in a way that he understood Paul's imprisonment here was only advancing the gospel of Jesus. And Jim knew that his life and death was whatever happened was only going to be used for the glory of God to spread the gospel. So Paul uses a word here. He talks to the, to, these, to the Philippians about the advance of the gospel, and he uses a Greek word, prokopine. And it's the same word that he'll use in verse number 25 for the, for the Philippians, for their progress in faith. And what he does here, he underscores the need to push God's kingdom forward willing, uh, rather than dwelling on the past or any present problem that they have. Many of our people and many of our churches are dwelling in the past and looking at the past and the problems of the past or the present problems of the present and they're not looking to Christ as the answer to everything that's going on. So we come back to the question, is the gospel first and foremost in our lives and in our churches? Because our future depends on where how important the spreading of the gospel is in our lives, in our churches. We look at history in the 20th century and the early part of the 21st century, and we look at many of the mainline denominations in the United States, and we see that in their early days, the gospel was first and foremost to them. The early generations believed, that, believed the gospel and felt that there was some, because of the gospel, they felt they had some social and respons political responsibilities because of their belief. But then behind them came a generation that assumed the gospel but identified with the social movements more than the gospel. And then the next generation behind that generation denied the gospel but made the social and political everything. This is the result of what we call Protestant liberalism and it, we, I had a conversation with some church members just this past week about how we've watched some other denominations just completely dwindle and have no effect for the Lord Jesus Christ because of this model that we've just seen. When the gospel is not the main thing, then the next generation is lost. We understand through research of Lifeway and Barna and other groups like that, they tell us that right now in America, that 35% of America would identify with what we call being evangelical, Bible-believing Christians. 35%. We're told that when this group that's sitting here, most of them, when they're my age, when they're middle age, 
we're told that that number will dwindle from 35% to 4%. That's frightening, isn't it? To think that we live one generation from Christianity being almost extinct in our world. I look at our own denomination. We haven't spent the last generation about social issues, but we have become consumed with political issues. We spent the more the last 40 years trying to influence political outcomes, trying to politi- uh, to influence who's going to be the president or, or who's going to be this or that. And as a result of us being more focused on those things, our numbers of baptisms and membership had declined across our denomination greatly. The gospel and the preaching of the gospel will change society. When we get the gospel first, when everybody comes back together and puts the gospel first, the gospel will change society. We can't change society outside of the gospel. Amen? We can't. The gospel of Jesus Christ changed how I think, how I feel, how I look at life. It changed how I, all these things about what I look at socially. The gospel of Jesus Christ does those things. Back in the, in the uh, late 1800s, in the great awakenings that happened there, the gospel changed society. The gospel led to the abolition of slavery. The gospel led to child labor laws and the protection of women because the gospel changed people's hearts and how they looked at these issues. Our lives should be about the gospel. Our churches should be about the gospel. And when those things happen, other things will take place. And we understand through this that everyone needs to hear the gospel. Now, do we know this? We, we know this, we believe this, but do we practice this? Are there some people in our, in our world that we look at and we think, well, that person's too far gone. I, I, I'm not going to share the gospel with them. I'm not gonna t- I, there's no point in me talking to them. They're just too far gone. Paul was a man that, that most of the Christian church, those, they lived in fear of Paul when he was Saul. They would, have, they would have not wanted to share the gospel with him because he was, he was a murderer. He, he, had given the, he, he was given the responsibility of taking Christians and putting them in prison. They would have looked at Saul and said, well, he's too far gone. There are people who would have looked at my life or Bree's life and they would have said, well, they're too far gone. They're too, they're too this or they're too that. There's no point in us taking time to share the gospel with them. But fortunately for us, there were people who did. There, there are people that there is nobody that's too far gone for us to share the gospel with. Are there some who intimidate us? Are there some people because of their intellect or because of their wealth or because of their place or their position in society, do we look at them and say, well, I shouldn't bother them. I shouldn't, I shouldn't want to share the gospel with them. I'd be intimidated them. Are there people that we take for granted? Are there people that, who say, well, I'm a Christian, but nothing in their life lines up and looks like what the Bible says a follower, a believer of Jesus is. Or the people that we just take for granted. Well, Michael, it's not my judge, it's not my job to judge. No, it's not, but you are called to be a fruit inspector. Someone who says that they are a Christian, their life will reflect certain things. Their life will line up with Scripture. And when it's not, then you should Take that opportunity to share the scripture with them, never taking anything for granted. Now, Paul says in verse number 13, 
It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now there's an imperial guard. It's called the Praetorium. And it is a very elite group of people. There are 9,000 people, 9,000 men who are chosen to be in Caesar's imperial guard. And they are so elite, they're given double the pay of the other soldiers. They're guaranteed a pension after their um, days of being a soldier are over. And they are given very special assignments there in the Roman government. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is chained directly to one of these imperial guard 24 hours a day. When Paul goes to bed, there's, there's a guard chained to him. No matter where Paul goes, no matter what Paul does, there's a guard chained to him 24 hours a day. Now, because Paul, word has spread that Paul is in Rome, and Paul is under what is more like a house arrest, he's there in a home, so people are able to come in and out and speak with Paul, but the whole time that they're speaking to him, there's a Roman soldier who is chained to him, and he can't get away from him. Now, this Roman imperial guard, this Roman soldier, is listening and hearing Paul's conversations all day long. These Roman guards are hearing about the, the, about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one that Isaiah and the prophets prophesied about. They're hearing about the virgin birth, the sinless life, the substitutionary death that he paid uh, on a Roman cross. They're hearing more about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're hearing all these facts, but even more than that, they're hearing Paul talk about having an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and how that encounter with Jesus Christ changed his whole life and his whole direction and has led him now here to, without a doubt, every Roman soldier that is chained to him knows this man believes so much in Jesus Christ that he's willing to go to prison for him. And so those Roman guards are listening, and they're hearing this, and they're hearing Paul give a witness every day, day in and day out. And his imprisonment brings the gospel to one of the most elite groups of people in all the Roman Empire. And he makes it clear to each and every one of them, I'm here because I believe in Jesus Christ and I will not stop telling other people about him. Now we know that some of these guards came to faith in Christ because as Paul closes the letter in, in, in 421-22, he says this. It's down on the screen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. Those of Caesar's households were those imperial guards that were chosen by Caesar. So we know that Paul, through his witness and his teaching and his preaching and his not ever stopping telling others about Jesus, led to some of the most hardened hearts in Rome being led to faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone you know needs to hear the gospel, no matter their station in life, no matter their poverty, no matter their popularity, no matter their prestige, no matter who they are, everyone we know deserves to hear the gospel of, the Je of Jesus Christ. And we see Paul going on 
And we know that we tell what we know about the gospel. Paul knew a lot about the gospel, and he told everything that he knew. What do we know about the gospel in our day and time? Here's some astounding things that I learned this week. Think about this. 45% of church attenders, only 45% of church attenders, say that they read their Bible more than once a week. One in five say that they never read their Bible. Think about that. Now, as a result of that, we have become a society, we have become a Christian group of people who don't know enough about the gospel to tell anybody about the gospel. 67% of Americans believe in heaven, but 45% of those believe in multiple ways to get there. And here's what's astounding that one in five regular attenders of church believe that there are multiple ways to get to heaven. That's frightening. That's frightening to me. And here's part of the problem. We spend in our churches in America, we spend obscene amounts of money on children's ministry and youth ministries. Well, let me tell you, here, here's, the, here's the sad part about this. When most Christian parents pick their children up from children's ministry, what's the first thing they ask them? Did you have fun? Did you have fun? Did they entertain you? Did you have fun or did it? What, what's the first question we should be asking them? What did you learn? What did you learn? What do you know more about Jesus than when you went in the room? It, that, that's what we should be asking them. We spend obscene amounts of money in youth ministry on staging, lighting, smoke machines, bands, and instruments. And what, what goes secondary in that? The preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what goes. We, we are entertaining. We have spent obscene amounts of money entertaining children and youth, but not establishing children and youth to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. Someday little Billy and Betty Baptist are going to leave your home and they're going to go to a university. And when they get to that university, every single thing that you hope for them and you believe for them about the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be trampled on, is going to be trashed, is going to be made fun of, is going to be, they're going to be made to feel like they are a third-class citizen for having any belief in Jesus Christ. I sat in a, in a university classroom one day and I listened to a university professor sit and, and tell anyone, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but he told the people in the room, if you're a Christian and you identify with Christianity, then you identify with being a sheep and a sheep is the most stupid animal on the face of the earth. A sheep is so stupid that if it falls over in a stream, it's so stupid it doesn't have the ability to get up and it lays there and drowns. And if you are here this morning and you identify with Christianity, then you are as dumb as that sheep. I heard that from a professor. I didn't hear that at Harvard or Yale or Berkeley. I heard that at Jacksonville State. Now listen to it. That's where your children are going to be challenged and their, their beliefs are going to be challenged. And most churches in America are more interested in whether or not we're entertaining than whether we're established. Which is, I am so grateful that we do the, the Awanas ministry now where these children 
It's Scripture is poured into them week after week after week, and they know Scripture, and hopefully when they get to that point, it has taken root in their lives, and they are established, and they know the gospel. We tell what we know about the gospel. There were two groups of preachers in the church who proclaimed Christ, but Paul says they're proclaiming from different motives. He says in verse number 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Now, there's a group there that is clearly antagonistic towards Paul and his ministry. This group is not motivated by love, but only a desire to harm Paul in some way. They've got Paul. Paul's there in prison, and they see this as their opportunity to take a time and to kick him while he's down. They, they, Paul is there in prison, and there's these things we don't like about Paul, so we're going to take this opportunity to kick him while he's down. Anybody ever kicked you while you're down? I, I've memorized shoe sizes at, at some point. But here, here's, that's what's happening to him, and here's this. But Paul, look at Paul's attitude. Paul's attitude is guided by his affection for Christ, and he, being like Jesus, is not concerned for his own interests, but only that the gospel is being advanced. He said, I don't care if these other people don't like me. I don't care if they hate me. If they're advancing the gospel, they can feel how they want to feel about me as long as they are preaching Christ and him crucified. I'm fine with it. I'll take whatever they do to me as long as they are elevating Jesus. Now, there is a line of demarcation with Paul when it comes to teaching and preaching of the gospel, and he makes it clear in Galatians, when he writes to the church there at Galatians, and he says these words in chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you, a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul says they can say what they want to say about me, they can do what they want to do about me, but when it comes to the preaching of Jesus Christ, I have zero tolerance for anyone who distorts the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was constantly faced with this group of Judaizers who wanted to add works from the old covenant like the dietary laws, and circumcision. And, and Paul knew that works were not a part of the gospel, that it was faith in, it was grace by faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. We live in a dangerous time when it comes to the distortion of the gospel. Here's what's taught in most uh, places in, we, in the Western Hemisphere today about being a Christian. We're taught that if we follow Jesus, that for the rest of our lives we'll be healthy, We'll be wealthy. We'll prosper in everything. If you're, a, if you're a student, you'll make an A on every test. If you're a businessman, you'll close every deal. Now, what happens to those people who sit under that teaching and then bad things happen to them, life comes along, and it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Those people leave the church disillusioned and thinking that it was Jesus who let them down when actually it was false teaching and preaching that let them down. 
be careful what you listen to and who you read after and, and, and compare everything to Scripture. Because here's the reality of what the Bible says. The Bible says that we have to deny ourselves. We put the interest of others ahead of us and that God's will for our lives is most important. And God's will may lead us from a, a life of prosperity and wealth to a life of giving everything up and going on the mission field and serving Jesus there. So what can we tell someone, what can you tell someone who needs to hear the truth of the gospel? Think about that this morning. What can you personally tell someone who needs to hear the truth of the gospel? And what can you share about your life-changing faith in Jesus Christ? I read this quote this week. I've read it uh, uh, several other times, but it really struck, stuck out to me with this sermon this morning. It says, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You were a beggar at one point, and another beggar came along and told you where to find the bread of life in Jesus Christ. How are, are you prepared and are you ready to tell your family, your friends, your neighbor, your co-worker or a stranger that you meet in an airport or, or somewhere else, are you prepared if the opportunity arises to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about how it has changed you from the inside out? Now here's our Monday morning moment. This is where I want us to think about this week. I want us to think this week of this. I will pray for the boldness to share the gospel with those who need to hear. I will personally pray for God to give me the boldness to pray for people who need to hear the gospel. I will invite someone to Sunday school and worship service so that they can hear the gospel taught and proclaimed. That's pretty easy, isn't it? Not a hard, not a hard thing for us to pray about this week. I want you to pray personally for the boldness to, to share the gospel with somebody who needs to hear it. And I want you to further, I want you to pray for God to put those people in your path. I promise you, I promise you he will. I promise you that if you pray and ask him to put people in your path, he will do it. And it's easy next week to invite somebody We've got the preacher coming in on the 12th. It'd be easy for you to invite somebody to come to that worship service so that they could hear the gospel taught and proclaimed. Or it's easy to invite somebody to come to your Sunday school class and to come and to listen to hear the gospel proclaimed. Sunday school teacher, do you regularly share the gospel in your Sunday school class? Don't take for granted that everyone sitting under your teaching is a Christian. Don't take it for granted regularly know how to share the gospel in your Sunday school class so that people regularly hear the opportunity to have the gospel taught and proclaimed. And it all comes down to this. What Paul was telling in front of those Roman guards, that there was a man who was born into this world by miraculous intervention of God 
His name was Jesus. He was not only a man, but he was God. Incarnation. He was God in the form of a man. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. And because of that sinless life, he was able to give his life in exchange for your sins on a cross at a place called Calvary. After that, he was buried for three days in a tomb. And on the third day, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised from the dead. And history, not just the gospel, but historical accounts say that over 500 people saw him after his resurrection. Now, there's the gospel. There's, there's the facts you have to know. How did that change your life? How did that change your How did knowing and believing that and, and getting the forgiveness of those sins, repenting of those, how did that change your life? That's all you have to know to tell somebody the gospel, to share the gospel with someone. That's not, that's not hard. Some of you have more degrees than a thermometer. That, that, should be easier for, that should be easy for you. Are you doing it? Are you regularly are you regularly praying for the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're here this morning and what I have said to you has stirred something in your heart, I want to tell you that that is God's Holy Spirit and He's pointing you to Jesus Christ and He's telling you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and the only way for you to have eternal life is through forgiveness of your sins in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't delay this morning in coming to know Christ as your Savior. During this time of invitation and worship, I want you to come. If that is you, I want you to come this morning. I'll take scripture, and I'll show you how to know for sure before you leave here this morning how to know that you have eternal life and that Jesus Christ is your Savior today. Would you stand as we pray, Father? I pray this morning, and I ask for those who are here this morning, first of all, who need to know Christ, I pray that they would come this morning and be shown through Scripture how to know Him as Savior. For those this morning who have been putting off baptism, who have um, been putting off membership, whatever they need to do this morning, now is the perfect time for them to come and to make those things publicly known. Father, maybe there are those here this morning who just want to come and pray for the boldness to share the gospel. Or they want to come and pray for someone that they know who needs to hear the saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever it is we need to do, Father, give us the wisdom to come and to be obedient to you this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.